take now this son, the only son, take my love, Isaac, and go to the home of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son. And he stood there for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey, and I and the lad will go over there, and we will worship and return here. Abraham took the wood and the burnt offering and gave it on Isaac his son, and he put in his hand the fire and the meat. So the two of them walked on the way. Isaac spoke to Abraham his father and said, My father? And he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. Then they came to the place of which God had told them, and Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood, and bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife. The angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He said, Do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing to harm him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Then Abraham raised his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up as a burnt offering in the place of his son. Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide, as it is to this day, in the mouth of the Lord, it will be provided. Imagine being in Abraham's situation here uh, and, and thinking about the request that, that God has made of him. Uh, I was looking through last night trying to figure out how long Abraham Sarah had waited to receive a son from God. And I think I had calculated, keep in mind, it was never that long, but I think I had calculated somewhere between 25 and 30 years between the time that God called Abraham in chapter 12 of Genesis, and part of that calling was the expectation that he would have multiple generations. And in fact, learned that God had talked to Abraham about not adopting one of his sons in his household, but waiting for God to give him a son through Sarah, waiting for all of that time, not to mention the old age that they were in. As we heard last week, uh, Sarah left. It was such an excitement that she could have a son in her old age. And so now here we are, past the birth of Isaac, the golden throne now, uh, he was able to go off and be with his father alone. So he's at an age where he can talk, he's at an age where, where he can communicate with his father, and his father can communicate back, okay? So somewhere in there, I'm, I'm guessing about 25, 35 years, and by the way, if you need to correct me on that, feel free to do that. The point being, they waited really long time. They waited a really long time to receive this promise. And not only did they wait a really long time to receive this promise, in this promise, Isaac, was the promise of the future. 
so for Abraham and Isaac, it was Sarah. Once they had Isaac, good, we're good. I'll just stay with Abraham. We're going to expand our property. We're going to have more kids, and that'll be that. God fulfilled his promise. We can stop writing the book of Genesis now. And yet God out of nowhere calls Abraham. And if you notice, he calls Abraham in this passage the same way he called Abraham in chapter 12. Abraham, here I am, Lord. Good. Remember how I asked you to leave your entire family and travel to a land where you would be a stranger? Remember when I asked you, yeah, God, that was hard. That was hard. Well, guess what? I'm asking you to do something a little bit more. And notice how he identifies Isaac. God could have just said, take Isaac, and Abraham would have known who he was talking about. But God really drives into the relationship that Abraham has with Isaac. Take your son. Okay, so sons were very important. They were the only ones that could own property. They were the only ones that you could pass your property along to. Take your son. Yeah, my son. Your only son. Reminding Abraham, you don't have any other sons that you can give this to. You don't have any other sons that can carry your name on. So your son that you can give all this land to, your only son, no one else will do. Oh, by the way, take your son, your only son, the one that you love. God is driving to the relationship that Abraham has with Isaac. And he says to him, go to the place I'll show you, and there offer your son as a sacrifice. Now, what I find really interesting about this passage is that, as far as I can tell, you don't see any emotions. We don't hear about any kind of anguish that, that Abraham has. You don't, hear about, you don't hear anything about Sarah. I even read one book that suggested Abraham probably didn't even tell Sarah what was going on. But you sense that there is a tension happening between what God has asked Abraham to do, what Abraham is willing to do, and what Abraham expects God to do. And you see this as they're walking to that mountain because Isaac says, uh, Father, I see that we have a fire. I see that we have wood. It's on my back. But where's the lamb for the sacrifice? So Isaac is old enough to know something's going on. He's seen his dad do this before, and something is missing. And you sense in Abraham a faith in God. And in fact, the writer of Hebrews says that, that Abraham was probably reasoning that God was going to bring Isaac back from the dead. That he was reasoning to himself and to Isaac, God is so powerful, I will give Isaac to him and he will bring him back from the dead. And so you know that there's a faithfulness that Abraham has. And when they get, or, or when he asks that question, he says, God will provide the lamb. So not only is there the expectation, okay, if God doesn't provide this lamb, God will raise my son from the dead. But son, I believe that when we get up there, there's going to be a lamb for the sacrifice. And so they get up there. Abraham binds Isaac down, and he is getting ready to give Isaac to the Lord to do exactly what God has called him to do. And it's in that moment that we see Abraham has passed the test. Now, that is one great thing about this passage. We see up front that it's a test. So the writer of this passage is letting you know, calm down. 
That's, that's sort of, you know, uh, don't, don't freak out. He's not going to die. This is just a test. But Abraham doesn't know that. And the angel comes out and says, basically, you've passed the test, which I don't know about you. In that moment, I would have fainted. It would have been a long conversation to have with my wife when we got home. Don't tell your mother. <laughs> but when the angel stops him, he looks, and there's a ram behind him, which is the fulfillment of the promise that Abraham said. God will provide a lamb for the sacrifice. And he looks, and there's a ram in the thicket, which, by the way, counts as a lamb. They would have accepted that as a sacrifice. And that's what they use for the burnt offering to worship God. And then later, as you go through uh, Genesis 22, it's pronounced once again that Abraham will be blessed, is blessed, and his children and their children, all the generations will be blessed because Abraham stayed faithful to God. There's a few themes that go on in this passage that that I, I think we need to go over here today. The, the first theme that you see in this passage is the theme of a test. Now, like I said, at the very opening of this chapter, it says this is just a test. It says this is a way for God to test Abraham's faithfulness. But in looking at the word test, do you know another word for test is to prove? So when I want you to prove something, I will test you. But when I want to prove something to you, I will test myself. And so you see what's happening in this passage is first, God is testing Abraham. So there's the test that God puts on mankind. Not a test to sinfulness, okay, not a test that would ever cause you to sin, but a test that you are going to be built up in faith and prove to God, and we would even add to, to you, that you are faithful. And so when God issues this test to Abraham, it's a proof that Abraham is here to prove his faithfulness to God, which is very important because he is now the model for generations after him that he stayed faithful to the Lord, and this was the result. Which brings us to the second theme of test, which is God's test of himself, God's proof of his faithfulness. Now, we get throughout all of Scripture that God is faithful no matter what. God always stays with his people, and God will prove himself to his people. And we see this in this passage because even though he said to Abraham, sacrifice your only son as an, as an offering to me, God proved to Abraham that he's not that kind of God, that he's not going to receive child sacrifices. God is proving to Abraham his character so that Abraham, when he proves his faithfulness to God, it's built up. Do you see how that works together? God says, I need you to prove your faithfulness to me. Do this hard task. And when Abraham does the hard task and is faithful to the Lord, God proves himself to Abraham. And now Abraham knows, I can trust God in anything. Now, if God asks me to do anything in my life, I know that he has mine and my family's best interest in mind, that he wasn't really wanting me to sacrifice my son. He was wanting me to give everything to, to him. These are the kinds of tests that we have in our life. P 
Peter talks about it, I, I believe it's in his second letter to the churches where he talks about how, how these, te- or excuse me, it's James, excuse me. James talks about tests that go on in our life and that those tests are there so that we would be built up in faith so that we can trust in God even more. So if you're going through a difficult time or you feel like God is calling you in a direction and you're not quite sure if that direction is a good direction, trust that if God is calling you to it, he's going to prove himself in that. And if you remain faithful to him, he will prove his faithfulness to you. This test is very important for building up our faith. These tests are here so that we would see how faithful God is to us. The second theme that we have here, of course, is the sacrifice. Now, I got to tell you right now, I think Pastor Mark really saves the fun passages for me. Because I get to talk about Abraham sacrificing his son. And you see these themes. There's actually three of them. But in this moment, I only want to touch on two of them. As we go through this passage, the first theme of sacrifice that really stands out that would have been common in Abraham's day is what Isaac says. So remember, Isaac looks up at him and says, where's the lamb for the sacrifice? And Abraham says, well, God will provide that lamb. That lamb of sacrifice in Abraham's day, would have been a sacrifice of communication. It would have been a sacrifice that everybody would have given to their gods, but our God wanted it in order that we would speak with him. Now remember, there is no book of the law. Moses has not yet gotten instructions on how sacrifices should go. And so God is receiving sacrifices as these people knew to give sacrifices to him. And so when Isaac looks and says, where's the lamb for the sacrifice, and Abraham answers back, they're talking about a sacrifice that when you give to the Lord, you're opening up a a door of communication. You are giving to God and letting him know, Lord, I am with you, and I trust that you are with me. God, I know that you have given me everything, and so I give you something in return. So this is the sacrifice that Isaac was expecting, a sacrifice of a lamb, a sacrifice of communication, something that they would have done fairly regularly. But that's what Isaac is thinking. For Abraham, remember how I said there doesn't seem to be any emotions in this passage? At least none that that we can, uh, none that he says. He doesn't say anything about it. The writer doesn't say anything about it. I think the reason for that is because child sacrifice was actually pretty normal in Abraham's day. Not by God, but by the pagan gods. It was normal that if a tribe or a family felt that the pagan gods had blessed them, then they would give a sacrifice of one of their children as a way to showing that God their allegiance. And so think... Think of what Abraham is probably going through at this moment, knowing that our God, his God, is different and set apart from the pagans, but now he's hearing that he needs a child sacrifice. I think this is some of the turmoil that Abraham is going through. And so when Abraham is bringing Isaac up, he's trying to figure out, how could God require me to do this? That's where we think that maybe he was thinking, okay, God does require it, but he's going to raise Isaac from the dead. That's what's said in Hebrews. 
But these are the two sacrifices that the culture that Abraham was in would have known about. These are the two kinds of sacrifices that Abraham would have seen his neighbors doing, would have seen other family members doing, to give to their pagan gods. And of course, what we know about our God is that he never requires that. But we're going to get to that sacrifice in a little bit. The third theme that we have is a theme of provision. When God opens up talking to Abraham, and Abraham says, Here I am, Lord, he requires that Abraham go. But notice he doesn't give him a very specific location. He just says, Go to the place that I will show you. It's in Moriah, and when you get there, you'll know that you've arrived. So God doesn't just send Abraham out, but he sends him to the right place, and he tells him where to go at the right time. This is an important theme, because sometimes I think we need to remember that God has his timing for our life, and God has his timing for other people's lives. It's a trust that God is working on you and God is working on other people in the timing that he has for them. Have you ever had those situations where, where you just feel the need to pray for somebody? You're not sure where it comes from, but they come to your mind, they enter into your heart, and so you begin to pray for them. Well, that is God's timing. That is God's provision. That is God wanting somebody to come to worship and he is calling you to send them there or he is calling you to pray for them to come to that place. We see this theme of provision go on as well with the ram. Remember, Abraham said to Isaac, God will provide the lamb for the sacrifice and sure enough, when the angel stops him, there's a ram there. So that tells us that when we worship God, God provides for us to worship him. God not only sends us to the right place and the right time to worship him, but God provides everything necessary to worship him. You are not in this church by accident. You are not in this church, I would say, because you even wanted to be. You're in this church because you answered God's call to be in the right place at the right time. You are here because God has called you here. Just like other churches in the community have people in their church that God has called them to at the right place at the right time. God's provision is always given when he requires us to do something. There is not a requirement that God gives that he doesn't also provide for us to fulfill. In fact, this is so true in this passage that at the end of the passage, Abraham names that place, God will provide. That mountain is now known as the place that the Lord provided. And when anyone saw that mountain, they would tell the story of Abraham and Isaac. They would tell the story about how God does not require child sacrifices, but God provides for worship for him. What areas in your life are you able to look at and say, that's the place that God provided? That is the place that God called me to. That was a time when I needed him the most, 
and he provided for me. The final theme that we have, and I would say this is the main point of this passage. You know, I know we, we have at the beginning of that passage that this is just a test. We have it right up front, this is just a test. But if you're anything like me, you're kind of asking the question, why does this have to be the test? You know, why, you know, why didn't he just ask like Abraham to get up and move again, which is frustrating in itself. And then after he packs everything up, God then says, all right, that was just the test. Put your things back, you are in the land that I've given you. To me, that would have been a better test. But you know, God hasn't asked me my opinion yet. So you're probably wondering, why would this have to be the test that he sacrifice his only son that he loves to prove his faithfulness? Well, like I said earlier, child sacrifice was normal. Child sacrifice was something that Abraham was familiar with. He saw other families do this. He heard stories of a child being born and then the child being sacrificed to a pagan god. God is putting Abraham through this test because he is introducing the revolutionary idea the revolutionary idea that you can be substituted for your sins. God is introducing this idea of substitution to his people, that he doesn't want human sacrifices, he doesn't need human sacrifices. And what he introduces in this passage, and, and you see it generations later with Moses and the law, the Day of Atonement. Israel was the only nation that would sin against their God and not sacrifice themselves to that God. What did they bring in? A lamb. They brought in a lamb, they put their hands on the lamb, and their sins transferred to that lamb so that they didn't have to die for the sins they committed against God. And when God introduces this in chapter 22, what he is trying to show Abraham, I don't need your son Isaac to die. A ram will do. And generations later, you see this in the sacrificial law. That even though we've sinned against God, and when we sin, we deserve the punishment of death, God says, no, there's a substitute that we can put in your place so that you don't have to die for the sins that you've committed. We see this first with the ram. Abraham looks back and he sees a ram, and, and in a way, God says, that ram will do for now. And then when he gives the law to, to Moses and the people begin to practice the Day of Atonement and they put their hands on the, the animals and their sins are transferred or substituted to the animals and the animals are sacrificed instead of people, even that, God was saying, that will do for now, but I have a greater plan in which a better person will be substituted in your place for the sins that you've committed. So where do we go from here? Well, in our application, the first is that God demands a sacrifice. I already mentioned that. The sins that we've committed against God, we deserve death. 
And so God set up the sacrificial system so that we can put our sins onto the animals. The animals are sacrificed in our place so that we don't have to die. But what's more than that is God provides the sacrifice. And we actually see this again throughout the Old Testament. That, that one of the reasons for the sacrificial system is to prove to Israel that God gives them everything and they just need to give a little bit back. God even says in one of the passages, I own the cattle on a thousand hill. I can give you whatever I want to sacrifice to me. I have provided it for you. But what's even more than all of that, not only does God demand a sacrifice, not only does God provide for a sacrifice, God has made himself the sacrifice in Jesus Christ. What we see generations and generations away from Abraham is that God would sacrifice his own son and that we would look to Jesus and say, I deserve to die for my sins, but God doesn't want a human sacrifice. And we can put that on Jesus who died on the cross so that he is our substitute for what we've done. This is all a provision given by God. As I close the message here today, I, I want to share from one of my favorite Bible commentaries. This is called the Jesus Storybook Bible. And I'm not joking when I say that this is a very good book. If you have any kids and, and you want them to understand the scripture, I highly suggest it. And if you're an adult, if you're an adult and you like good artwork and short stories, uh, th this is a great book that goes uh, through the span of the Bible and it tells the story in the scriptures in sight of Jesus Christ. I want to read to you a passage that I think sums up what we've read here today. And as they sat there on the mountaintop, watching the embers of the fire die in the cool night air, the stars above them sparkling in the velvet sky, God helped Abraham and Isaac understand something. God wanted his people to live, not die. God wanted to rescue his people, not punish them. But they must trust him. One day someone will be born into your family, God promised them, and he will bring happiness to the whole world. God was getting ready to give the whole world a wonderful present. It would be God's way of telling his people, I love you. Many years later, another son would climb another hill carrying wood on his back. Like Isaac, he would trust his father and do what his father asked. He wouldn't struggle or run away. Who was he? God's son, his only son, the son that he loved, the Lamb of God. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you would step in our place as the sacrifice. Lord, we thank you that, that when we've been through tests and trials, we know that it was there to prove our faith in you and to prove your faithfulness to us. God, we thank you for the provision that you've given in our lives, that you would bring us here to this church to worship you with one another. God, we thank you that you would give us your son, that you would allow him to be a substitute in our life. 
Lord Jesus, we thank you for everything that you've given us. As we leave this place, Lord, we pray that you would strengthen us to go out into the world and to share this message with one another. That we would share this message to our friends and family, to our coworkers, to our fellow students. Lord, that we would be examples of what it means to follow you. We pray all this in your name. Amen.